yesterday, um, you know, it's time that we get serious. There is, and this is not what I'm preaching on today, I've had today's message ready for six weeks, and, and he, he would never let me preach it until today. But there is an all-out attack on you. There is an all-out attack on anybody that's doing anything, I mean, listen to me, that's really doing anything as far as kingdom work, as far as souls. There is an all-out attack. And the enemy is taking people out. So we are forever going to have to be so aware of what we do and where we go and what we say and be ever so aware of the things around us. Because there's many of us that are on the front lines. I would say we all are on the front lines. Some of us are a bigger target than others. Not everyone has a, fi- a, a five-fold ministry, but we're all in the ministry. But especially, I would say, if you're a soul winner in this hour, trying to bring people into the kingdom of God, there is an all-out attack on you. And so you're going to have to be ever so aware of the enemy and his schemes. We cannot let our guard down. We cannot get comfortable for one minute. Look at what happened to Ted Haggard. I don't know if you know it, but Ted Haggard has a a, a brother that's gay. He had a brother that committed suicide. There was all kinds of problems growing up. And so he was going to do something for God because he was called, and look at what happened. Don't think it cannot happen here. So I just say that because as I was in prayer yesterday, it so came to me, and specifically some of you, and, I, and I've already visited with one person that I want to visit, visit with uh, more, more in depth. This isn't to make us afraid, because we are not to fear if we're in Him. But this is to make us aware that the devil is out to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He is out to steal your testimony. He is out who, if he can physically kill you, he will. But he is out to steal your testimony, to steal your witness, to stop you in your tracks. Why? Because you're a detriment to him. Especially if you're a soul winner. So let's not let it happen in this place. Amen? Well, hallelujah. I just want to share that with you. Let's stand. Say our confession. It's time, it's time, it's time for us to rise up. It is so time for us to rise up. You know, we can't be uh, uh, playing church anymore. We can't be just coming out of duty anymore. We have got to rise up. And, and, and I told our prayer leaders a couple of weeks ago in a meeting that we had, I said, prayer has become mundane and routine. And it's got to change. You know, there's been a tax. Sit down. There's been a tax. On my property in this year that I have never had before, ever in my life. On my property at my house, to the silly things of somebody coming and digging up daylilies in my front yard, filling them up and, and putting the, the, what do you call it, the mulch back over where it didn't look like anything was gone. They didn't come and rip them off the top. They dug them up and then nicely put them back. I mean, not, the, not them, but the soil back. That is an attack. Oh, yeah, it was only about $60 worth of stuff. There were three of them. I have 12 more if they want those. But I was walking out one morning to go, go walking, and I turned the corner. It's right there by the, the street. I thought, you know how you, you something just didn't look right? I thought, something didn't look right. So I stood back and looked, and I thought, somebody stole my day lilies. I thought, well, surely, you know, I'm just not awake yet. So in the daylight, I went up there, and, and, and I called the person that put them in, and, and he thought I was under too much stress. He said, oh. He said, I know you've been busy. He said, somebody took three day lilies? I said, come over and look. And he did, and, and we got to digging, and they, they perfectly put 
everything back in place. Well, the policeman laughed. I told him, I said, I know it's funny. You know, I said, have you had this? And he said, no. So I didn't think much about it. I just thought somebody needed some day lilies worse than I did, and, and they took them. But I've had some other attacks, some burglary. Not in my house, but in some other parts of my property. It's an out-and-out attack of the enemy. So prayer has got to be beefed up. I realize that I've got to beef up prayer more so for my property and for myself than ever before. But you know what? So do you. Because the enemy is out to get you. If he can get us off of our focus by those little distractions, then he will. So prayer cannot remain like it's been. We're going to have to step it up. We're going to have to get in there. We're going to have to get the heart and the mind of God. And we're going to have to pray until we see the answer. I don't care if it's, it's past 8.45. I don't care if it's past 6 in the evening or 8.30 in the evening. We've got to pray until we see and hear from God. Amen? It can't be these dilly-dally prayers anymore. No more routine is what God has been saying to me. No more routine. We've got to get in there and we've got to press and we've got to pray. If we want to see healings, we want to see miracles, we want to see souls, then we've got to get in there and we've got to pray. It's not just going to fall out of the sky on us. So we're going to have to get in there and we're going to have to work. And it is going to be work. Well, I don't like to come to prayer meeting. Well, that's just too bad. That's what we're called to do. You're called to get in your prayer closet at home. Not just get up and say, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this day. You know, my little grandson last week was got a little scooter and he was going down the uh, this hill on this little scooter. It looked like a skateboard with handlebars on it. And I said, Carson, you're going to fall. You're going too fast. And he was just scooting along, you know. And, and in a minute, Brad was up there with him. And Brad just thinks he's a, a big toy. And I said, Brad, watch him. He's getting ready to fall. And sure enough, about that time, I heard somebody say, Help me, Jesus! It was Carson. With my little two-year-old grandson. About that time, he cracked. And he got up, and he was dusting leaves off of him. And Brad said, Buddy, are you okay? He said, Yeah. He said, Uncle Brad, I hollered, Help me, Jesus, but I crashed and burned anyway. Well, see, we're going to have to be more intent than Help me, Jesus. We're going to have to get in there. And we're going to have to pray. Amen? That's the hour that we're in. Okay, stand. Let's do our confessions. I'll do it this time. This is my Bible. This is the Word of God. I am who it says I am. I have what it says I have. And I can do what it says I can do. Today I'm going to be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive, and I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. I'm going to be changed, and I'll never be the same. Never, never, never. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. You may greet someone and sit down. Hallelujah. My message today, like I said, is, has been prepared for six weeks. And it's something that we have all done. It's something that we have all had happen to us. And it's probably something that all, not all, but some are in at this point. And it cannot be any longer. The title of my message is, Offenses Must Go. Overcoming Offenses. What is an offense? Webster says that it's the act of creating resentment, hurt feelings, and displeasure. The condition of being offended, especially feeling hurt or angry. And I like this one. It's the act of attacking. Wow. The Greek definition is the part of a trap to which the bait is attached. The trap or snare 
itself. You know, Jesus talked about offenses on many occasions, and we have, we have all been offended. Don't, don't try to tell me that we haven't, because we have. And if the truth were known, we have all offended somebody. So let's turn in your Bibles to Luke 17, verse 1, and see what it has to say. We're going to finish this tonight. If we don't finish it tonight, we'll, we'll take it up next Sunday. Jesus is teaching here about forgiveness and faith. Then he said unto the disciples, It's impossible, but that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. Now turn to Matthew 18. Look at verse 7. It says the same thing. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it, is mu- it, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. And then turn over and look at verse 21. We're going to read to the end of the chapter. Jesus is talking here about forgiveness. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me? For I, and I forgive him till seven times. And Jesus saith unto him, I say... Not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which showed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made." The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down in his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. But he would not but went and cast him into prison until he should pay the debt. So when the fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that, he had called him and said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desiredst me. Should not thou have also had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wrought, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him." So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not every one of his brother and their trespasses. Father, I thank you for this word that that will come forth today about offenses. I pray, Lord God, that every one of us will have our hearts opened, that our minds would be alert. And Father God, that we truly would walk in clean and pure hearts. We would be able to forgive, Lord God, for we know what your word says about forgiveness, that if we do not forgive our brother, then you cannot forgive us. So, Father, I pray that we would hear this word today, that you would anoint me to preach it with clarity, yet with love, yet firm. And, Father, we give you praise and we give you glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, Jesus explained here how we can all expect to encounter offenses because it's just going to happen. But the important thing is is that when offenses come, what is our our response going to be when they come? See, he forgave a, a, a servant here. Because the, the, the servant fell down and said, Lord, if you'll just give me some time, I'll pay this. Well, so he forgave him. And then that servant went, and what did he do to the other one that, that asked to be forgiven? He took him by the throat and had him cast into prison. And, you know, usually people who become offended, can, uh, we're, of course, we're trapped. And offenses work in that same way. We are going about our daily routine. Just going with the flow, going to church, going to work, going into our home and doing our job, being a mommy, being a daddy, whatever we're doing. And then suddenly we may be put into an offensive situation or someone says something that offends us. I hear it all the time. Well, I was offended. I won't go on there yet. Yet. You know, a developing hurt then begins to grow. Resentment grows. And the offended person usually what? Decides to strike back 
against that one. And then they will tell others, whether it's at your workplace, whether it's family, whether it's church, and then strife and division begins to grow. Well, and I'm just offended. I was offended by what so-and-so said to me. I was offended by how they said it to me. I was offended. You know, I told somebody the other day, to be in ministry, which you all are, you have to have a, a heart as soft as a dove and a hide as thick as an elephant. Because if I had quit every time I was offended, I would have quit a long time ago. Or when I took that offense. Offenses can escalate to all kinds of hatred, bitterness. It can keep you unhealthy. And we all experience them. But how are we going to respond when they occur? Look at Ephesians 6. We know what Ephesians 6 talks about. The armor of God. Look at verses 10 and 12. It's talking about spiritual warfare. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness and high places. We have to understand who we are fighting against. We're not fighting against brothers and sisters in the Lord. We're not fighting against our employer. We're not fighting against uh, uh, the school teacher. We're not fighting against our husband or wife. We are fighting against, it says, uh, principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness and high places. Folks, Satan is real. He is very real. Demonic forces out here are real. Just as the angelic beings are real, the demonic beings are very real. And they have heated, uh, they have stepped up the heat on us as Christians. I think that's why, one reason I gave you that word today, that, that we have to be ever so aware. We can't just lollygag through life anymore like uh, it, it's always going to be okay. Because the devil is out to steal, to kill, and to destroy. You know, that, that, that's what he does. And so we turn our back, and we don't put on our armor, and we just walk through life uh, doing our thing and, and just being a, a, a normal Christian, get up in the morning, brush our teeth, put our clothes on, come to work, go home, come on Wednesday night, pray a little bit, come on Sunday and have worship and listen to the Word. No, we can't do that anymore. We are going to have to get in there and seek God because... The devil is real. I believe that something, I don't know what, but if there's a stirring within me that something catastrophic is going to take place, then what are we going to do? 9-11 really didn't shake the body of Christ. It did for a few weeks. I heard on... Uh, on the East Coast and different places where churches were filled. What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? Demonic forces. Demonic forces. Matthew 16. Turn there if you would. Like I said, this isn't to scare you. It's a warning, though, that it's no longer church as usual. It's no longer life as usual. Sixteen, verse twenty-one. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again on the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. And he turned, But he turned and he said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. This is a story 
uh, regarding Jesus and his disciples, and he explained to his disciples that he was going to have to go to Jerusalem, he was going to have to suffer, he was going to be killed, and on the third day he would ra- be raised again. But Jesus took, Peter took Jesus aside and rebuked him. And what did Jesus say to Peter? He said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that are of men. Now look, Jesus realized that Satan was the offender here, not Peter. Satan was working through Peter. That's why he addressed Satan the way that he did to Peter. Now how did Jesus respond to that offensive situation? He rebuked Satan, but what did he do to Peter? He continued to love him. Oh, well, that's hard to do. You're right, it is. It's hard to do. If you have ever been offended, it's hard sometimes to continue to love that offender. But that's how we're to respond. We respond just like Jesus did. We rebuke Satan, but we love that person. We rebuke the devil, the, the devil and, we, and then we continue to walk in love. And when we rebuke the devil, then we are exercising the authority that, that, that Jesus has given us. Every one of us, if you're in Jesus, then you have authority. He has given you power. The enemy is under your feet. And too many times we just walk through this earth and the devil is just nipping at our heels. We have to stop and say, stop it in Jesus' name. You go. But we just walk through life and let it happen. And then we wonder why we don't have any joy. And when we're always being attacked, I tell you, I'm mad at the attacks on my property. Nothing was taken, but just stuff was messed up. It's just a pain. It's a nuisance. And then there was a lot of stuff that could have been taken. Good stuff. So see, it's a distraction. That's all I could think about until I could get it fixed on Tuesday. I was like, I've got to get this fixed. I've got to get this fixed. It made me mad. Man, I'm beefing up some prayer around my place. Understand? When we rebuke the devil, it helps you to recognize that it's the devil and not the person also that sets up the offense. Now, Satan knows you. He has studied you. And he will set a plan against you. Why? Because you are a threat to his kingdom. You are a threat to his territory. You're a detriment to him. Why? Because he knows you love God. He knows that you're a soul winner. He knows that Operation Go, Operation Go, you're a target. Because you love God so much. You want to see others be saved. And brought into the kingdom. So be ever so aware of the demonic forces about you. He knows, the enemy knows also what's going to push your hot button. What sets you off. And so he will bait you. And he'll work his plan against you. He will design a plan that specifically fits your weakness. He will design a plan that will fit your weakness. And there will be some, some point that you'll bite it. Satan, like I said earlier, is out to destroy your witness and to destroy your testimony. He wants to discredit you. He wants to use you to cause others to stumble. And by allowing offenses into your life, many things happen. They can distract you from your destiny because it gets you off course. You know, God has a destiny for each and every one of us. And if we take an offense, and if we cause someone else to stumble, or we stumble ourselves, then it will get us off of our destiny. Look at Ted Haggard. Look at Jimmy Swaggart. And I'm not gossiping here because it's been in the news. They have gotten off of their destiny because the enemy set a trap for them and they fell for it. Do you ever hear about Jimmy Swaggart anymore? Seldom. One of the greatest evangelists I believe that ever lived. But Satan knew what his weak point was. And he set a trap and he bit it. 
Offense will distract you from your destiny. Wounds cause you to isolate yourself. You build up walls. Why? So you're not hurt again. You get uninvolved. Why? So you won't be hurt again. You keep people at arm's length. Why? So you won't get hurt again. I want to tell you something. There was a time before we went into the ministry, Pastor worked for a seed corn for Pfizer Genetics and um, also for Mobile Chemical. And, and when he was working for Pfizer, he traveled to five state territory, Texas in, being included. So you, you can see that it was a great big territory that he traveled. And he was gone throughout the week and home usually on the weekends for a day or two. And I had, we had small children, Gal and Brad were small, and I loved people and I just get right in there and, and get involved in, you know, the babysitting co-ops. I got involved with our neighbors. I got involved in Mother's Day Out. I got involved with the church, uh, with our ladies group. I was just involved. I was that way when I was in high school. I was into everything. And, um, and so I, I just enjoyed that. And then the company would come and say, okay, because Pastor was such a good salesman, that they would move him, us into virgin territory that had never heard of that product before. And he would get it all built up and make strong sales and get the farmers to using their product. And then they would move us where to another virgin territory. And so we would get in there and when, plow the ground, so to speak, and then somebody else come in and reap all the benefits of the commissions and all that. That was our life for many years. And so every two years we moved. And I would just, I'd, I'd cry for days because I'd leave the people. I'd leave my friends. And so after three or four times of doing this, I said, that's it. I'm not getting involved in nothing. It's too painful for me to, to leave. So I said, I'm so sorry for myself. Well, I could see that wasn't working either. You know, pastor was gone all the time. The kids were, you know, little. And, and I thought, I'm not happy until I get involved in the church and get involved with my neighbors and involved in... And the things of that community, I was not happy. But see, really what had happened is I had become offended at the company because they had moved us every two years. And they were uprooting me. And so I stayed unattached and uninvolved. Well, that didn't, happen, that didn't last very long, maybe a few weeks. And then I was back in there. And I just knew that this was our life for a while. And, and that's the way it was. And I, and I was miserable. You know, when you build up walls and you stay unattached because you don't want to get hurt anymore, then you will be a miserable person. And joy will leave you. I've often said that the happiest people in the world are those that are involved in the lives of people. Not in a nosy way, but involved in the lives of people. Wanting to do and help and pray for them. Be where people are. Get involved in the church and, and in the community of things that are going on. Offenses also will cause relationships to be broken. Uh-oh. How many of you have ever had relationships to be broken because you've been offended? Sure. We all have. Satan will use anybody as a bait. Your husband, your wife, your employer, your, your preacher, your enemy, your stranger. So if we've been striving to live for God, and to be a witness to those around them, and we get offended, then we're also going to lose our joy. Because we build up walls. Now, where do we go from here? Because we've all been offended. Look at Romans 14. And I'm not going to read all of Romans 14, but the Lord is talking here uh, and giving a warning against critical spirits. And so you need to read that. Look at verse 13. This is our responsibility about not becoming a stumbling block. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Now we learn from this chapter of how we're to live with our fellow man and how we're to be more concerned with our own actions what are we going to do with that offense than the actions of others? And look up above at verse 12. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. See, it's not what happens to us 
that counts, but rather what we allow to happen in us. Not so much what happens to us, but what do we allow to happen in us. In other words, we have to be accountable for ourselves to God. I believe that's why the Bible talks about being slow to speak. Words can be hurtful. You know, some people just say things and then think later. You better start thinking and then saying things. Because words, once those words are spoken, they can never be taken back. Yes, you can ask people to forgive you, but you know what? They will always remember those words. Unless God does a supernatural work in their life. So we're to be slow to speak. We just don't run off at the mouth and say things that we should not say because it can be hurtful to someone else. And that will always be with them. You know, my good friend, Sherry Gooden, she was always, she was, she was just such a woman of grace. I, I just, uh, I loved that about her. We were so close, and I felt like I was like a bull in a china closet, and I, 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 I just sometimes marveled at, at how we could be as close of friends as we were because we seemed so opposite in the natural anyway. And she was just such a woman of grace. And I remember sometimes when people would be talking about somebody or whatever, Sherry never opened her mouth. She was slow to speak. Part of why she was who she was in Jesus. She was a gracious lady. Was never easily offended. And never probably offended very many. Because she didn't say hurtful things out of anger. She was slow to speak. Genesis 3 talks about Adam and Eve. And in an earlier chapter, and we're not going to read all of that, Right now, God gave a commandment that they should not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? Well, Satan was very crafty, and so he deceived Eve. And he convinces her to partake of that forbidden fruit, and then she convinced Adam to do the same. But what happened when God came to visit? Adam didn't take the blame for his own actions. So he tried to turn the whole thing around and blame God and that woman. Oh, it's that woman that you gave me. It's why I did that. And then God asked the woman and she tells God what? That the serpent deceived her. That's in Genesis 3, verses 12 and 13, if you want to look it up. But see, Adam and Eve had to answer for themselves. They had to answer for their own actions. God dealt with the serpent about, uh, serpent about the serpent. He dealt with Adam about Adam. And he dealt with Eve about Eve. We have to give an account of ourselves. We don't have to give an account of others to God. But we are going to have to give an account of, for ourselves. We're going to give an account for what we do and how we respond to offenses in our lives. The devil will give you all kinds of reasons and excuses for why you should not obey God. Well, you don't have to go and, and, and ask that person to forgive you. What are they going to think of you? You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. He'll give you all kinds of excuses as to why you don't have to obey God. But Romans fourteen twelve says, Every one of us shall give account of himself to God. It's our human nature that we want to blame somebody else. That we want to give an account for them. But the, the bottom line is we are still going to re be responsible for what we do. We are still going to be responsible to follow God no matter what anybody does for us or to us. So I could have stayed uninvolved. And that, that was just a little... A story that came to mind when I was studying for this. Because I had been hurt by having to be uprooted from, uh, you know, homes in Oklahoma, homes in Texas, all over, all, uh, homes in Kansas, 
had hurt because I had been uprooted and I really had taken on offense. But we are still responsible to follow God no matter what anyone does to us. Following God should be our goal in everything that we do. We don't judge one another. God's big enough to do that. Don't think that he can't because he will do that. We need to do everything to keep our conscience clear by doing all we can to stay out of an offending situation. Acts 24.16. Let's look at that. Don't get nervous. I'm going to wind down. Acts 24, verse 16. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and who? Toward men. I do exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. I want to tell you another story. Years ago, this is years ago, we had a man on staff, and he was a Sunday school teacher as well. And my office was up here in the front office, and I must have been with someone because I don't remember this person being in the building, but as they started out, they opened the front door and started out and then came back in, and from the front door you could see me sitting at my desk, and said, oh, by the way, Lenore, if so-and-so asked who arranged his Sunday school room, just have him call me because I did. I said, okay. Well, to me it was a no big deal. Well, I didn't think anything about it. And a little bit later, this staff member went down to the Sunday school class. Oh, man. He wasn't happy. He came back. He said, who's arranged my Sunday school class? I had it just like I wanted. Now it's in a circle and da-da-da. I don't like it. I don't know who did this. I wish they'd leave my Sunday school class alone. I said, oh, by the way, so-and-so was here, and she told me if you got a problem to call her, that she did it. Well, he said, well, I'm going to call her because I don't like it. I said, well, that's what she said to So he closed his door, and, and he talked, and, and a man came in my office, and he said, she told me that you told her to do it. I went, what? She said that you gave her permission to do that. I said, I didn't even know she was in the building until she left. So I didn't think anything about it. He said, well, that's what she said. I said, well, that's not true. So, you know, it's no big deal to me. I mean, let's go down there and rearrange it and, you know, be done with it. It was a big deal. When I got, she, so he called her back and said, Lenore said she didn't know you were in the building until you started to leave. And when I got home that afternoon, this woman's husband was in our yard with Pastor. And Pastor said, Mama, come here. I said, Hi. I went and spoke to him. And he said, I think we have a problem. I said, What's the problem? And the man, the man looked at me and he said, You are a liar. And I said, Excuse me? Because that's something I don't tolerate. And he said, you are a liar. And I said, and how's that? You told my wife that she could rearrange so-and-so's Sunday school classroom. And then he got mad, and then he called her, and I said, just a minute here. I said, your wife is the liar. I didn't even know your wife was in the building. So we talked a while. I said, go get her. Or better yet, I'll get in the car with you, and we'll go there. No, 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 I'll go get her. I said, okay. So he left. He came back. And he said, oh, you an apology. He said, I finally got it out of her. You're right. She lied. I said, well, I'm sorry. I, I don't know why she would do I mean, I don't know why. It was just a petty thing. But see, it's the little things that spoil the line. Well, what happened? I took an offense. And so, during those days, I stayed in the foyer and greeted everybody. Many of you remember that. And I would see them come, and I'd think, oh, I think I need to go get a drink. 
or oh, I think I'll go to the restroom. Why? I didn't want to see her. You know what I wanted to do? Slap her. <laughs> now that's flesh. We all have it. And so I stood there, and they would walk just as close to the coat rack and into the sanctuary as they possibly could. And the first Sunday, I thought, I'm not going to let this happen. So I just went over to her and hugged her. It's like hugging a tree. I said, good morning. Good to see you. You look nice today. Thanks. And they, we did this for weeks. I'd see them coming. I thought, oh, I'm really thirsty again. But I'd stand there, and I'd always make myself go. My flesh did not want to. Now listen, I'm not lifting me up. I'm just trying to show you that we have to walk in love in these situations. And so then there was a time, and these were people that were very talented in our church and very needed in our church. And there was a time that, that she never did apologize to me, but, but her husband did. And he called one day and said, my wife is having surgery. And I said, okay, well pray for her. When is it? And well, of course, it was on a Friday, on our day off. Of course. And so I told Pastor, I said, I'm going to go and I'm going to sit there with the family. And so I did. I went up there and spent about four hours, prayed with them, sat there with them until I knew that she was out of surgery. And then later, he came to me and he said, do you know what, Lenore? We were going to leave the church over that crazy little thing. We were going to leave the church, but you so walked in life and came on your day off. It was almost like a test. On your day off, and because you gave of yourself, on your day off, and came to the hospital and spent four hours, we're planted here. Now, they don't live here anymore. They moved away. The love. Hate the, uh, hate the offense and love the people. That's what we have to do. Now, was it hard? Yeah, because I didn't want to do it. Like I said, I wanted to scratch your eyeballs out. And you've been there. Have you been there? The spirit of slap wanted to come all over me and say, what do you mean calling me a liar? I'm serious. And see, instead, and I was wrong. Instead of me just rolling it off, I took an offense at that. Where does she think she is? I mean, her husband was out in the yard with my husband, and he looked at me and called me a liar, and I thought, excuse me? And then, because he kept digging, he got to the bottom of it. Now, why she did that, I don't know. I don't have a clue, unless she was just a liar. Had a problem with that, and she didn't want to take responsibility, so blame it on me. And to me, see, it was no big deal. Go straighten the chairs, put them back, and five minutes, let's be done. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's those little bitty things that are going to spoil the vine. But a person's reaction to an offense, and I'm going to leave you with this, is a, uh, is a reflection of your spiritual maturity. What are you going to do with an offense? You're going to get ticked off and, and pray that their dog gets pregnant and they have four flat tires? What are you going to do with it? Are you going to want to slap them every time they come in and every time you see them? Are you going to walk in love? Are you going to allow the love of God to come forth from you even though your flesh is saying, I don't want to do this? Are you going to go up and hug them and they stand there like a dead fish and you're trying to say, it's good to see you this morning? (laughs) With the love of God? It's true. It's true. Took everything within me to walk in love. Give her a hug. Week after week after week. And sit there. I went to say, you know what? I really don't care if I ever hug you again. (laughs) But the love of God on the inside of us. And look what God did through that whole situation. Because I was surrendered, kind of, to God and allowed love, His love to work through me. Not my love, because I didn't have any love there. But allowed the love of God to work through me. 
and they remained planted in the house. And were a blessing and an asset for the whole time that they were here. So a person's reaction to an offense is a reflection of your spiritual maturity. Proverbs 4.23 says for us to guard our heart with all diligence. Why? Because life flows from it. Because out of it are the issues of life. You know, our heart is a reflection of everything we are. So how are we going to respond to an offense? Ephesians 6 tells us to put on our spiritual armor. It's designed to protect us. It guards us. And the Word of God is one of our guards. The Word teaches us how to handle the hurts of life. And how are we going to to respond when an offense is, is given? Are we going to get mad? Are we going to try to blame somebody else? It's not what God said. We have to take responsibility for our own actions. We have got to be an example to this world as Christians. Gentleness, kindness, mercy, forgiveness, joy, peace, meekness, all of those things need to be a part of our everyday walk. And sometimes you have to do some of those things by faith. I had to love her by faith. I had to hug her by faith because I didn't want to. I wanted to keep bringing it up. Do you remember that day you came in? I remember, you know, that's what we do. And then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and we go around and around and around and around that mountain, and then I just want to call somebody. I want to call Sherry and tell her, do you know what so-and-so did to me? And then let's call somebody else. And then before we know it, the whole church is in strife. And if we can't walk, church, in unity and in love with one another, with our brothers and sisters in the Lord, we can't walk in love with anybody. So how are we going to respond when a mistake is made? We're going to get mad? We're going to give an account of others? No, we're going to have to take responsibility for our own actions. Our actions are going to confirm our words to the world. Our actions are going to confirm our words to the world. Don't let an offense be a point of stumbling for you. We don't judge. God does that. We have to keep our hearts pure toward others. And we don't become offended when we're persecuted. Jesus was an overcomer. So what do we do? We, be- we are an overcomer. We become an overcomer. That's what we do. And in order to overcome an offense, and I'm going to pre- preach on this tonight, we're going to for- have to forgive. We're going to have to walk in forgiveness. Is that hard to do? Absolutely. Sometimes it's hard to do because we have flesh that we have to deal with. Sometimes, well, all times, you have to let the Spirit of God rise up in you and do what you know is right in his sight and forget about what your flesh wants to do. If you want to slap that person, then you better go and sit on your hands. You better do something. I know Pastor came home one time. He was so mad at one of our employees. He came home. Oh, he said, I just, I can't believe they did this. And I just said, honey, don't come tell me. Why don't you go down there and fire him? He said, that's why I'm home. I had to come home because I was going to fire him on the spot. And I went, boo. So, see, he had to remove himself from the situation and come home and vent, which he didn't vent very often. He never had to do that. But he knew that it was not right of him to have done what his flesh wanted to do right then. So he removed himself and got out. It meant going, getting in his car, driving home. I don't know how fast he went. But he got there, and he was mad. And so we talked about it, and... He sat down and calmed down and came back. Never brought it up again to the person. That's the love of God. Amen? So tonight we're going to talk about forgiveness and what we have to do when that offense comes. 
what our responsibility is as Christians. Amen? Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name, and we're thankful for your word. I pray, Father God, that it fell in good soil, that we would always walk in your love in every situation, that we would never put ourselves in a place to cause anyone to stumble by being offensive. Father, I pray that every one of us would think before we speak, that we would truly have the mind of Christ in all that we say and all that we do. And as we exercise our spirit, man, Lord, that it would, would, would always outdo what our fleshly nature wants to do. So I give you praise for that, Father. I pray that every one of us would guard our heart with all diligence because we know that life issues from our heart. And Father, I pray that we would judge our hearts so that we would not be judged. I pray, Lord God, if there's an area in each of any of our lives that we need to forgive and that we have been offended and have never given that, never left it at the foot of the cross, that we would do so by faith right now, Lord God. That we would hold on to those petty little things, those little foxes that would keep us from our destiny, that would keep us uninvolved, that would keep us from doing, Lord God, what you would have us to do in this, era, in this, in this time, in this season. So, Father, I pray for every one of us, myself included, Lord, that we would always walk in purity before you. And that you, Lord God, would be able to give an, a good account of us when we stand before the Father. Father, we give you praise and we give you glory for all that you're doing in each of our lives. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Now with every hand